Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the 8th verse. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what on earth is a deacon? What is somebody out there in this position of leadership for a congregation that isn't the pastor? Well, let's turn here to Acts chapter 6 before going back to the qualifications St. Paul gives for deacons, and then we'll discuss how this relates to house churches and why it's so important for us. So let's turn it over to Acts chapter 6 here to get a good sense of the definition of deacon. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. When the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may have heard of the job description for Lutheran pastors. It's usually just two words, word and sacrament. There's a reason that word comes first. In fact, there would be no sin or inaccuracy if you said the job of the pastor was word, then sacrament. In fact, the apostles just devote themselves to the ministry of the word. That doesn't mean that they didn't concern themselves with sacraments. After all, St. Peter was apt to baptize. Yes, they did these things. But first came the word. First came the preaching and teaching of God's word to all the believers. They assigned these seven men, these deacons, including a Gentile convert, a proselyte, to serve as assistants. Now, why do I say assistants? Because they're emphasizing the word. So a deacon is, properly speaking, a pastoral assistant. It doesn't just have to be in matters of waiting on tables, uh, the daily distribution of food as people were living kind of collectively during this time, but they certainly had other responsibilities, duties, and 
freedoms. Let's kick it over here to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Most Bible scholars will tell you that this Philip is not the apostle Philip, but the deacon Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you? Or does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may note that Philip, the deacon, did not say to this angel of the Lord, um, excuse me, dear angel, I don't know if I'm permitted to do baptisms. Can I go to my synodical leadership real quick and see whether or not the constitution of our synod permits it? No, he just did it. And he also did not say, excuse me, dear angel, I am not ordained to word and sacrament. Why would I start teaching somebody the word? I wasn't even selected as a teacher. No, Philip just goes ahead and does it, obediently unto the command of the Lord, because he has the rights to do so as a deacon. Now, an interesting quote here from good old Dr. Martin Luther, whom we read last week, talking about this freedom of the Christian congregation. This is pretty important. We are all equally priests. That is to say, we have the same power in respect to the word and the sacraments. However, no one may make use of this power except by the consent of the community or by the call of a superior. For what is the common property of all, no individual may arrogate to himself unless he is called. And therefore this sacrament of ordination, if it is anything at all, is nothing else than a certain right whereby one is called to the ministry of the church. And that's, I believe, in his commentaries on Acts chapter 6, referring to these deacons as ministers. A deacon, properly understood, is a pastoral assistant. Someone with a diaconate ministry charged with helping the ministry. 
That certainly could be in terms of charitable works and waiting on tables, so to speak, doing distributions of food or doing small things for the church. It could also be fixing things up around the church, but it could also be evangelism, as we see with Philip, and it could very well also be, at least, baptism, as regards the sacraments. And Philip here, when he does spread the word to the Ethiopian eunuch, what is he doing? He is relaying what he has been taught and shown. So it is likely that the office of deacon here doesn't have the full power of word when it comes to word and sacrament. He can pass along what he has received. But he does have full rights, and as Luther said, with the consent of the churches and the direction of the pastor, to go ahead and perform the sacraments. That's the deacon. That's what they do. If you are a deacon, you are not just a butler. And surely, in church history, that is what deacons are most often found doing. But there's more to it than that, especially because charity and service are mentioned as spiritual gifts in the book of Romans. That's something everybody should want. Everybody should be willing to do. We're called to serve one another and help one another that often involves waiting on tables, but it's not just waiting on tables, as I said. So as far as the catacomb synod is concerned, a deacon is an assistant to the leadership of the catacomb synod, namely we here at the Very Lutheran Project, and one who, by the consent of the house church, governs the house church, passes along the word from a qualified ministerial authority, performs the sacraments, and then also seeks the care and well-being of the individual congregation that chose him. Historically, in Lutheranism, the deacon was somebody with a very broad set of responsibilities. The old school Church of Sweden still has this definition, saying vows made at ordination involve seeking and helping anyone in bodily or spiritual need, defending the rights of all, standing beside the oppressed, and exhorting God's people to all good works, so that the love of God is made visible in the world. And his duties include, again very, very broad here, visits, helps and supports those in bodily or spiritual need, gives Christian nurture and teaching in the faith, is a sign of merciful kindness in the parish and society at large, and in all things serves Christ in the neighbor. So a deacon has responsibilities up to but excluding the regular preaching of God's word. In order to be fully ordained under the ministry of the word, you would have to be a pastor. But he can do just about everything else, including teaching the faith and assisting in catechizing people. That's how powerful a deacon is supposed to be as a servant of God. And if you're going to have a house church, it is incredibly beneficial to have a deacon present. Now, for anybody that would like to be a deacon, first let me say, if you want to be a deacon in the catacomb synod, I can't stop you. 
I can't force you to go through training. I can't force you to go through seminary or internships or something like that. This is all dependent upon the individual house church congregation. I do, however, offer training for anybody that wants it. Just shoot me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com, and we can help you along in that path if you are evaluated by your house church and they say, we want you to be that guy, but we think you need a little bit of help. That's because part of the qualifications for deacons is for them to be examined. Let's relook at 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting again in the 8th verse. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. As an ostensible representative and caretaker of Christians, you shouldn't be a slob. You shouldn't have a sailor's mouth cussing up a storm. And you should be forthright, not devious in speech, not double-tongued, but saying what you mean. Not addicted to much wine. You shouldn't be a drunk. You should not be somebody out there who can't control themselves when it comes to substances, not just alcohol. Not greedy for dishonest gain. If the house church decides to give you recompense, some sort of wages for your service as a deacon, you shouldn't ask for much. In fact, if anything, you're probably going to be bivocational. Not required, but it would be a good thing for you to be bivocational so that you're not asking for a whole lot of money. After all, this is the catacombs synod. This is house churches. Not everybody is going to be able to afford to pay a full-time deacon or full-time minister. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That is to say, you shouldn't have attachments to the world. You shouldn't be known to the world as a terrible sinner. And you should be able to, with a clear conscience, be the deacon. You shouldn't be wavering in your faith or doubting. Nope, you should have a clear, confident conscience in this. And it says, verse 10, let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So a deacon should be tested either by the house church congregation or by yours truly to see if they're fit for the job if they have the time, if they have the aptitude for it, or if they are willing to learn things like counseling, learning how to run liturgy, etc., and so forth. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Now, keep that in mind, their wives. A deacon is to be a male. The church chooses men to serve in word and sacrament. Now, is it possible that there were deaconesses in early church history and moving forward? Maybe. But whether or not that is the case, that is not a prescription for female deacons. The scripture is very clear here that like pastors, deacons are supposed to be men. Married men as well. And their wives are supposed to be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. So, a deacon's wife has similar requirements for the deacon himself. This is important. Why? Well, they're already one. 
So whatever a wife does, the husband is responsible for as the priest of the home. And we don't want any trouble from a deacon or his wife affecting the churches. So it says in verse 12, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. We don't want to burden the congregation with a whole bunch of problems, so it's good to not only have a positive role model for the other families in the church, but also people who do not present a large burden. It would be terrible if a deacon had to go find his son who ran away to go do drugs out in the inner city or something like that. And meanwhile, in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are temporal, and I would even say eternal, rewards for he who serves as a deacon. Those are the requirements, and it's up to the house church to say, we've examined you, and we believe that you're fit for this job. Meanwhile, if that's hard for them to do, or they don't know where to start, please get in contact with me and I can assist with that process in certifying a deacon and examining him and getting a guy ready to be deacon. Remember, the judgment doesn't have to be just yes or no. It could be, we'd like you to get some training to be a deacon in order to make this work. And that is all it's got to be. I can assist with that if you would like. More than happy to do so. Just know that as a Christian congregation, you have a lot of freedom precisely because the scriptures give you a lot of that freedom. They say, here are the requirements, and if you have a guy that meets up to those requirements, good on you. Go ahead. Now, regarding those who are not qualified to be deacons, if you're not married, if you have a past or something you're struggling with, and maybe you're in a situation where you'd say, I can't be a deacon yet, but I still want to serve. Good news, you can also be a lay leader. We are going to get into the office of lay leader next week and what that looks like for a house church for people. We're going to get into what the service is going to look like as well soon after, once this liturgy is done. My apologies for the delay on the Sunday service liturgy. But ultimately, keep in mind that as a house church, you're going to have a lot of freedom to pick a guy to be deacon. And if you don't have a deacon, for you guys to have a lay leader that serves kind of like a deacon. But we'll get into the specifics there as well. But until then... Please email me if you have any questions, and if you are interested in serving, don't hesitate to let me know. But until then, I will catch you all next week. Amen and amen.